0: and we're live welcome everybody this is the realities artist podcast slash ghost documentary interviews whatever the fuck we want to call it uh, and we're your hosts tonight Nate, Thomas, and Ben hey And guys. Hell yeah, we are excited We have Chaz of the Dead with us Welcome brother
1: Hey guys, what's going this on? This is your we're return
0: <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely man yeah, We had a lot of fun last time um, Thank you for joining us And tonight we're going to be talking about fucking ghosts We're going to be talking about poltergeists Ooh. Demons, spirits, all kinds of fun stuff um, And I remember you telling me the story about when you were a kid and the red eyes under the bed. And I mean, we can include this in our doc too, if you want to talk about it. Um, But wherever you want to go, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was um, uh, my, I'm I'm, on the last episode, we got into like UFOs and crazy stuff as well. Um, But my, my origin in the paranormal investigating, like most people um, started with a personal experience And, you know, when you start exploring the paranormal, you know, from the very beginning, most paranormal stuff is a ghost of some kind. Right. And uh, my experience was um, I was pretty young and my parents had just built these bunk beds uh, and I had moved into this room with my older brother. He was the oldest. So he got the top bunk and I was. put on the bottom bunk, but that bottom bunk used to be his bed. And they kind of built this one on top of the other. And um, uh, a couple weeks into this, this sleeping arrangement one night I fall out of bed and I wake up and there's a pair of red eyes underneath the bed, staring back at me. And they were almost, you know, looking back on it, how I remember it now is they're kind of cartoonish, almost like flaming at the edges, like a Halloween graphic. One of those like gel ones you'd stick on your windows. Um, You could probably get it at the dollar store, you know. And at the time though, you know, eight, nine, terrifying. Scariest thing ever. I hop back in bed, blanket over the head because, you know, blanket over the head, you're safe. (laughs) I I ride it out to the morning. Now the morning comes and I'm young, but I'm still rational, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe there was like a toy with like a light switch, a power button, you know, how some those early two thousand toys would have that little red light uh, during, near the the batteries to let you know it was on. I thought something like that. And I just missaw saw what saw what it was, and so I started cleaning underneath the bed, something no child ever does. And my older brother, he's coming down the ladder from the bunk bed, and he sees what I'm doing and he has this kind of shocked look on his face and he asked me in this stunned voice did you see the eyes too because he had had the same experience a month prior when he was sleeping on that bed and that was for me the like aha moment like oh shit there are like ghosts and wizards and goblins and shit like something's going on here um and of course like I was saying earlier, the what do you do at that time? well you put on the travel channel and you watch ghost adventures or ghost hunters was actually more popular at the time I remember this was some people was would do that
0: <laughs> some people that would scar them for the rest of their lives and they would run over to church and try to get fucking i don't know like bathed in holy water or something and your idea was to go watch ghost hunters so well it says something about you it's
1: interesting you say that because that kind of did have the opposite effect on my older brother he didn't go religious with it he kind of went with the atheist scientific um you know that's religious bunking kind of approach um and you know We've, we've had some psychedelic experiences and stuff. He's evolved his position on, on the subject since. But it, it definitely impacted him to the point where he's a chemist now. He's a, a scientist um, by, by trade. Um, but yeah, it had the opposite effect on me, where I'm now a paranormal investigator by trade. Complete, <laughs> some would say the complete opposite of a scientist especially with my uh, unconventional approach. But, yeah, agree to disagree. uh,
2: Was there (laughs) any other activity in your house or growing up? Well, that's the crazy thing about it
1: is no, not really. Um, Not until my uh, late teenage years when I started doing some psychedelic experiments. And those definitely had to do more with the psychedelics than it did the, you know, Haunting in the house because there was no there, it's not like there was a poltergeist or no knocks. It really kind of seemed to be this one-off uh event, and you know, now as a more adept researcher, I do tend to think it was probably a ESP experience. We shared a dream, this weird lucid dream or semi-hallucinization, whatever it was. Um, or secondary, it is the best long-held prank of all time. My brother, great actor, he nailed the stun look, and well, he's not a good actor, I know from personal experience, but in this one incident, he might have pulled it off, and he just is, is holding on till the deathbed. Which, that man. is something that I would have is... done.
0: Uh, <laughs> my nephew, who is about two years younger than me, is, was like deathly afraid of Chucky. Because we would watched oh, it, right? Yeah. And so, and so this, dolls are the worst. So this, so this fear, like, moved on to every yeah. doll. And so I would like it was, dude. This was basically like Elf on a shelf. I like started like Ooh. fucking around when he wasn't looking. I'd move the dolls move around. And shit. I think, dude,
1: I'd that gas like, the raise, fuck like, out of him. That's that's how you raise a good paranormal <laughs> investigator. <laughs> um, Jeez, no, but no, in, in earnest, I've talked with him, and he still maintains, like, yeah, no, that was that was weird, um, and yeah, it 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 was the 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 moment. And again, from that perspective at the time I was like ghost. And now years almost a decade well more than a eh, almost a, yeah shit god damn. <laughs> more than a decade of uh, looking into the paranormal from you know watching those ghost hunter episodes to, to actual investigations to psychedelic experiments. I do tend to think that was you know a A anomaly of of you know our consciousness. There was some kind of of telepathic (laughs) communication going on. Now, was there a paranormal source to that causing that? Perhaps, but again, no haunted house to speak of. It was a a a one off event. Um, And I did you
3: you try to provoke more ghost interactions within that house at some point, just to like stir them up a little bit?
1: Here's what's awesome about my parents is they like a couple years after this because I'm still into ghost shows and shit, they get me a Ouija board for Christmas.
3: <laughs> is it like the Mattel version? When <laughs> you officially the license? Hasbro one. I still Hasbro, got yes, sorry. <laughs>
1: uh, uh, The Glow in the Dark one. Mm-hmm. I roll my joints on it. That
3: does make it a little bit more evil. The Glow in the Dark. <laughs> I,
1: I never thought hey, about Chaz, it. Chaz.
2: Oh, <laughs> there's nothing important, but. I gotta ask, what is like in your opinion the most real of all those ghost shows, and what is like the worst? Um, It's something I wonder about because I watch them all, and I'm like, seems like bullshit sometimes. uh, You can't really tell.
1: None of them on the TV are that great i mean the the popular ones the reason they've been around so long is because they fake shit you know what i mean they they hype i know there's such
3: a tease man it's like the gold digging shows like you know they're never gonna find the gold because if they find the gold the show's over
1: right exactly and so they they they're masters at stretching content and you know and Mm -hmm. again we'll get into the practices the evps and sphere boxes and stuff um, the uh, I guess if I was forced to pick one and I don't watch enough of them nowadays I'm much more into my YouTube ghost hunters and stuff because I think their stuff is way more intriguing but if I had to pick one just based on their research degrees, I guess Kindred Spirits isn't the worst, they're alright um, I don't think much of uh, Chip Kofi, the psychic guy, but the other lady—I think she does a good job um, of understanding yeah, the I've... theory and stuff. That is, uh,
2: yeah, that's a good show. Uh, they don't over-dramatize things on that one, so right, they, know, they they might out, be more uh, uh,
1: Yeah, the bad reenactments and stuff—they don't really do as much <laughs> of that. So, I, I, if I had to pick one of the TV ones, I think that um, that one's probably. From a quality standpoint, pretty yeah.
2: Well, I had to know your opinion. Uh, so uh, yeah, I was curious, uh, like a little more about your background. You are like a full-time ghost investigator, is that correct?
1: Well, not quite full-time anymore. I do teaching. Um, I, I teach part-time online, and then um, with some after-school programs and stuff like that. Because um, you know, unfortunately. Paranormal investigation doesn't quite pay the bills, but um, it's getting close. Uh, Check out Paranormality (laughs) Magazine; they they um, keep me employed to to write and investigate and do all kinds of crazy stuff. So, um, it's a great community of of independent investigators. You know, so check them out. Um, But yeah, yeah. So I've. Since that moment, I guess I've been investigating the paranormal. But, um, you know, I started taking it more seriously in my late teens. Um, I started an independent blog. And from there, I've, I've started writing for more publications. I've written a couple books at this point, um, a couple different investigations. Uh, my recent one was about one here in Florida. My first book was about my, an investigation I did in Chile. Um, and, um, the Chilean one, much more UFO centered, UFO focused. Um, but the, the case I investigated here in Florida around the, um, the Betts castle and the Betts sphere, um, Mm. also UFO related, but with a bizarre paranormal haunted house component that never really gets touched on in this, uh, the, the brief retellings of the story. Um and that's kind of where my research has has led me is to the this approach that the paranormal ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, all of these various facets are a lot more similar than um right. the, the various niches believe. You know, um. the Bigfoot hunters think it's a monkey in the woods and then the yeah, you know, UFO guys, they're talking aliens and military yeah. craft and again, there's a discussion to be had there.
2: Uh, I have a I have a question for you about that specifically like yeah. the connection between ghosts, paranormal and UFOs. So ghost hunters are big on like their EMF meters and they seem to believe that's ghosts. And then you like take it on a bigger scale like a location like Skinwalker Ranch is the best example, like an area that might have some high electromagnetism. But in my mind, I think about, because uh, I watch Ancient Aliens all the time, they talk about ley lines, which are the Earth's electrical like energy going through underground, and where they intersect, all these ancient ruins are built, and they're all like on a grid, so to speak. So do you think it's all about, like, these electromagnetic hotspots make it easier for ghosts, paranormal, to manifest, and also perhaps UFOs. Is that what the connection is about?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I think the answer is a little bit of a yes and a no, uh, right? Because the 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 logic and science behind ley lines is very much out. Let's say, but yes, you know we. Re- if we live on a globe, and I don't want to start that argument, but for, let's all yeah. assume we live on a globe, you a can what? draw a straight line from one point to any other point. It's just how it would like it's just how it would work. Um, so those have I've always been skeptical of the line portion of it. But I right. think the the overall the, the one common factor in all of these, you know, hot spot locations. Is a story, and usually these locations, um, if you you dig into their history, there's a paranormal story before the current paranormal story. Um, you know, Mothman that the area of Point Pleasant in the the 1800s was cursed by Chief Cornstock, this Native American chief. They killed him totally unjustly. He was like their prisoner and some dude accidentally shot him in the stomach and he like bled out a horrible, painful, you know, death. And he cursed this area of Point Pleasant. And so there's always been like this paranormal legend about it. And of course those records are murky. So who knows what the real story is, but that legend carries on. Um, In Pascagoula, Mississippi, there's this famous abduction with these metallic aliens. These two dudes were, were abducted while fishing on the river, um, and they investigated, like, fully by the local police. They must have not had much going on, um, but they totally spent all the time. They tried to catch these guys in a lie. They, like, separated them. They put recorders in the room to try to, like, catch them coordinating the lie, and the police came away saying, we think these guys were are telling the truth. That we think they were abducted. But what never comes up in the discussion of this uh, you know, UFO story is that the area of the river they were abducted on is called Singing River. And because the legend says that a tribe of Native Americans was going to war with another tribe, and they knew they were going to lose. They were a peaceful tribe. They didn't have any weapons. So instead of being massacred and enslaved, they decided to march into the, the river singing this death chant. Know, this funeral song, funerary song of their people. And for hundreds of years, supposedly, people have been hearing this weird song and it's been recorded throughout history. It was first recorded by a European in the 17, I think it was 1700, the, the actual year, it was the French governor of Louisiana, one of the first settlements set up in the area. And he heard this phantom song and it was his native translator who told him this story. Um, and again, that's a, a, a Chinese telephoned story. I don't know if you can say that anymore, but that story has been transformed over the years. So we know that's probably not the original story, but the point being there was some kind of paranormal lore there. Um, and that applied with this case I studied in, um, here in Florida with the Betts Castle and the Betts Sphere. Um, this family found a metallic sphere that moved around on its own. A bunch of people were witness to this. The local radio, the local news came and saw this thing moving on its own. Um, Jay Allen Hynek got involved and investigated it. The Navy got involved and investigated it. There was a lot of weird, shady things going around. And this is kind of where the story goes black and no one knows what happened to the sphere. And it kind of just ended. But again, the story's told and there's even like a two three minute segment on ancient aliens about it it's told yeah. like that about this weird sphere and that's it no one mentions that the house it takes place in had decades of um paranormal haunting legends associated with it the Bets castle because it, it's this Tudor style it's got this big tower it looks like this bizarre castle. It's built on Mount Cornelia, the highest point on this island. Um, this island was occupied for thousands of years by Native Americans, then it had a plantation. And during each stage of this these occupations, there's different mystical legends associated with it, with the first French colonists who were killed by the Spanish who arrived in the area, to the Native American traditions, to the slaves, bringing their own native traditions. And the guy who owned it, he was bizarre. He didn't believe in Christianity, Uh, Zephaniah Kingsley. He didn't believe in Christianity. He let the slaves practice their own religions. Um, And he believed mixed race people were actually the superior race of people. He didn't think white people were better than, well, he thought white people were better than black people, but that his mixed race children were superior than, than everyone. Um, and under the Spanish system of slavery, which Florida was was still part of Spain at the time, that worked out great because his kids could inherit his plantations and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. And he had a bunch of African wives. Um, he adopted this religion from Mali that allowed him to be polygamous. And he had uh, Anna Kingsley was his main wife, and she owned her own plantation after a while. Very weirdly, backwardsly progressive for the time in a weird way. Um, <clears throat> but when the US bought Flor- well, one Florida from Spain, um, the system of slavery reverted, where if you were a quarter black, doesn't matter, you're black, you're a slave. And so his whole kind of like empire fell apart. Um, but around this time is where this legend started um, of old red eyes, and old red eyes was supposedly one of Zephaniah's slaves who was murdering and committing, you know, other unspeakable crimes on children in the the slave community, and he was was found out, and he was lynched by his fellow slaves. They killed him in this, you know, you know, mob justice style. Um, is again is the legend. And yeah, it sounds whitewashed for sure. Uh, but Zephaniah Kingsley, that lines up with his his written belief system that he would allow the slaves to have kind of police themselves. Um, so the legend is that though this this slave, his hatred stayed on the island as this evil entity that presented mm. himself as a pair of burning red eyes, which of course, for me, <laughs> jumped out immediately. As a young my... child in bed, oh.
0: there was uh-huh. this red-eyed um, monster that...
1: Right, I, I was like, well, well, well. <laughs> that jumped out immediately to me. Um, and so this pair of red eyes was seen. It's not really seen much nowadays, But it was seen well into like the 1950s. From the 1800s into the 50s, people would see this pair of red eyes on this island. Um, And so, in the 30s, that is when the Betts Castle is built, and it's built on Mount Cornelia. It's not really built
2: on already like cursed land, so to speak.
1: Well, it's built on the highest point, and there's been various archaeological digs around this area. Um, And there's not really much known because there was a golf course built over it for a while. So a lot of the archaeological evidence was destroyed. But as this highest point, you know, it was a defensive position. It was of of great importance to to the previous, um, you know, occupants of the island. Um, And so, again, I like to try to avoid the native burial ground. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Teeth. But, you know, it's a, a mm. big dirt mound on this island that was occupied for thousands of years, make of it what you will. Um, and this it's house is fun. built right on top, and it looks like a Bavarian castle. Like it really is out of this, out of a, a storybook. And it was built for Nettleton Neff by this famous architect. Um, Mellon Greeley who built most of, well, not most, but a good portion of Jacksonville's uh, uh, archeological wonders, if if you can call them that. Um, But this house he called his most unique and it is very unique. I kind of compare it to a mini Winchester house because there's all kinds of step ups and step downs. It kind of rises and falls with the slope of the hill. It has a basement, which is rare in Florida. It's got um, 17 different levels, different step-ups. It's like four stories, but again, there's weird attic rooms and doors in the middle of hallways, six feet up off the ground with like no ladders and stuff. It's it's a weird, weird home. And it was built for the Neff family, and they all tragically died before they could move in. The wife was killed in a fire that the papers called Mysterious, The son killed himself in an apple orchard. He was going to Harvard. He disappeared for two weeks, and he was found dead. Um, It was ruled a suicide. And then Nettleton Neff himself shot himself in his office in um, St. Louis. He was a railroad executive for Chicago, one of those ones. Um, And so the house just sat empty for years and years and years, and it became the house on haunted hill as it were it was the spooky old house in the middle of the woods that you know kids would dare each other to go out and people began reporting phenomena, lights you know weird organ music even though there's never been an organ in the house um the the, the classic kind of spooky, bizarre phenomenon. Old Red Eyes was starting to see hanging around there and it became the central point of the the phenomenon on the island. And that's when in the 70s, the Betts family moves in. It sits vacant for 40 years and the Betts family moves in um, and they renovate it and they begin experiencing poltergeist activity. Before the the weird moving sphere even shows up, um, and so uh, Jerry Betts in an interview before the sphere occurred, she was telling uh, friends about this um, incident, and there were were secondhand witnesses. They were at a dinner party. They were you know having drinks in the library, and you know someone brought up, oh, is the house really haunted? And she said, well, you know, I don't know, you know, weird stuff happens, but I always think there's a logical reason. And then a crash, they hear a crash in the kitchen and they go. And sure enough, there's a pile of broken dishes in the middle of the kitchen, perfectly placed right in the center. And the um, cabinet that they were in was right there. They go to open the cabinet and it's still locked. The, The dishes somehow teleported out of this locked cabinet. Jerry had to go to a different room and get the keys out and unlock it to, to, you know, prove that it was was locked. And so she would also hear weird voices and see some strange lights and things. And she usually had a rational explanation for it. She was like, oh, maybe phosphorus in the soils causing bioluminescence and you know, we're we're close to the ocean and the river, so maybe the voices are riding off the the canal and echoing off the hill. Um, but she also, from her the tone of her interviews, she kind of enjoyed that she lived in the haunted house. You know, she would kind of like like tease and be like, "Yeah, you know, it's weird though. Some weird stuff happens." <laughs> And it was, you know, around this time this sphere shows up, this big metal sphere. And they found it on the island. And um supposedly, you know. How big was it? It was um slightly bigger than a bowling ball. There's um images on it online. You could actually see Terry Betts, the guy who found it with it, so kind weird. of how he found it. Um <clears throat> he um He brought it home and a couple weeks later it was just sitting in his room. He thought maybe it was a cannonball or some kind of historical artifact because of the the island. Um, But he's sitting there and he starts to play his guitar and the um, ball starts to vibrate and react to it. And soon it starts moving around on its own. And, um, you know, it's a metal sphere. It's moving around. So people assume it's a UFO. But No one talks about the haunted house aspect of the story. Um, And the ball, the way it moves, it doesn't like hover around and like scan the room. It rolls around and like follows people almost like a pet. Um, One of the witnesses, secondhand, um, the radio show host at the time, um, uh, Ron kavitz I want to say his name was. I might be misremembering that. Um, but he was, he kind of did like the local Jacksonville, like coast to coast, late night paranormal show. And so he was the local UFO guy. And so he came to see the sphere and he recalled that, you know, he showed up to the house, he went inside and they were talking about the sphere was sitting in the middle of this table and, you know, he was kind of taken aback by the house. Cause it's again, a bizarre structure. He was like, let's go back out, out back and take some some photos, you know, some more photos of the house. And as they're going out back, the sphere from the middle of this glass table rolls to the edge and kind of dangles off of it and then, like, vibrates back and forth. And he said it was like it was saying, like, hey, don't forget me. Like, it was, you know, like... I need to go out. I need to pee. Uh-huh, like a cat or a dog being like, <laughs> I want to go outside. <laughs> you guys are going outside? I want to go. Man,
2: that's uh, so weird
1: and again that kind of behavior lines up with some weird poltergeist type behavior we've seen that you know appear in supposed haunted dolls and objects that that, you know intelligence but not supreme intelligence by no means um and you see it that that mammalian intelligence almost uh in some more extreme cases you're jeff the talking mongoose you know he's literally a mongoose who talks and he had some some ribs man he would roast your ass but <laughs> he was still essentially a cute little mongoose when they would physically see him um so this kind of behavior again it's um uh, i heard a term for it recently the boggle threshold where it's it's it, it, it's too much For an investigator, like if you're a UFO guy, you want your UFO stuff to be taken seriously. You're not going to mention that this metal sphere was found in a haunted house and that its behavior is much more like a a haunted object than it is like a, uh, you know, UFO sphere. Now, that being said, the Navy, there's some weird stuff. It could have been a UFO sphere. Um, Go check out the book. If you want to know more, it's a place Um, between time and
2: space. Yeah, I got to ask you, do you think it's possible that with this poltergeist-type activity it would be possible for it to be a human being subconsciously making stuff move around, not knowing, but let's say it's someone who has dormant psychokinetic powers, you know, uh, the common example is like a Happens to teenagers. You get a lot of poltergeist yeah, activity, correct? Absolutely. What do you it's, think about that?
1: Back that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that that um, you know puberty area seems to be where most poltergeist activity occurs. Um, and yeah, I think that um, not just poltergeist activity. I tend to extend that to most um, paranormal, you know, activity. By and large, but especially when it comes to ghost activity, um, interesting.
0: Uh, I've got my son and his friend. He's they're part of our paranormal team, and they're going mm-hmm. out with us. So maybe that increases our chances of. There's a good ghosts. chance.
1: Yeah. I think um, it's a lot of this is um, a lot of it comes down to there's the concept of the tulpa, which you know comes from Tibetan mythology where these monks are said to generate a thought form who can like, you know, go out and do like Kung Fu and deliver messages for them and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's kind of been co-opted a little bit. And then the term egregore is for when a group of people do that. Um, and I think a lot of, of paranormal incidents are a group of people doing that accidentally.
2: And well, that- yeah, if like everyone's sitting around and like, expecting something to move, and they're all thinking about it and putting that, their thoughts out there, then that makes it much more likely to happen, right. collective consciousness type Well, thing. I
1: think what, what's most likely to make it happen is a good story. And that's, again, what happens at these paranormal hotspot locations, is that there is a mythology, there is a story, and that starts to get you thinking. And it starts to get you wondering about these possibilities. And whatever that latent psychic ability is, starts to, to get um, gassed up a little bit. And then yeah, when I guess, you and your, right. your buddies start getting freaked out, then everything starts to feel a little more freaky. And again, it starts to ramp up that experience. Um, and that's not only from personal experience in the field, as it were. But from experiments like the Philip experiment. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, that, which was conducted, I wanna say, Toronto, somewhere in Canada. Um, Tell us about it, man. Um, Yeah, they they created this made up entity. They created his entire backstory, completely made up person. Um, But they like spent some time. They really like, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons you know, dungeon master level story building to this guy's life and story. And they spent, you know, a bunch of time doing these seances, trying to contact them. And eventually they started having physical poltergeist activity. They were recording physical knocks. They were having objects move on their own. Uh, And again, this ghost was completely made up. They made it up entirely. And it's been recreated by Australian researchers. Do you it's think it's possible
2: that, that they actually did create like something that, let's call it like a thought form well, entity? That's question, is friend. that yeah, possible? That is the
0: question. And see, that to me is the scary part is like with any of this stuff, when people are using Ouija boards and things like that, and they think that they're communicating with grandma, like I'm not always sure that it's grandma talking to you. So, like, when these guys created this, like, this image of this person and, like, gave it attributes and all this, like, created this thing, some entity is like, oh, I've got a blueprint to work from. I can communicate and, and talk to these things.
1: That's, that's mm-hmm. one of that's, the, the theories yeah. out there. Absolutely. And again, from from my perspective as an investigator, I try to... Acknowledge all of these as theories. I, I try not to pick one and investigate from it. I think that's what is the Achilles heel of most investigators, why they, they find themselves running on a hamster wheel, you know, recording, listening to hours of EVPs and not getting anything and being frustrated because you're you're stuck in this this permanent mind frame of, you know, this is how it's done. I definitely
0: Uh encountered that when we were doing the Bigfoot interviews. There was a couple of folks... Bigfoot people are the worst of They were hardcore, dude. The second I mentioned that Bigfoot, (laughs) we thought that he might be psychic or interdimensional, they were Mm. like, they shut down quick. They were like, no, he's a fucking monkey. He's a a fucking primate. Oh, they don't like it. It's, It's
2: black and white to people with that subject. It's either... Bigfoot is a time-traveling alien or Bigfoot is like a a monkey, basically?
1: Well, I think think, um, if you boil Bigfoot down and I think if you objectively look at the best evidence Bigfoot hunters collect, Bigfoot is a poltergeist. He's just not in the house, so we don't recognize it as a poltergeist. But the knocking, the wood knocks, the howls, those are all things that occur in poltergeist cases. Before the poltergeist physically starts talking, there will usually be screams. You know, you hear the screaming in your face and waking up. Um, knocking is the most common thing to occur in poltergeist cases. It's usually how the communication begins. You do like a knock
2: So one, That's two, what that. happens on every episode of Ghost Adventures. It's the knocking and then like Ooh, a growl. Damn, dude. But you're I right. That's exactly that what Bigfoot is, too.
1: Well, yeah, and that's then kind right. of crazy to
2: think about the,
1: the gifting objects and the throwing of objects Tell like what that a poltergeist does. Well, and
3: and also I was thinking, uh, like in Florida, the term for Bigfoot is skunk ape, where you get the smell before you the see smell. or hear anything, uh, that and that's smell. another thing that you would usually associate with like hauntings. You just get actually. like a weird smell all of a sudden, absolutely, like a I'm, perfume I'm or like, yeah. I'm
1: convinced Bigfoot is maybe physical. Maybe two percent of the time, <laughs> at the most. I think he's a poltergeist the rest of the time. And again, whatever that is,
2: it could I'm be just like
1: that label describes him more accurately.
2: Some behavior. kind of like <laughs> elemental type thing. Like I've heard that term associated with some kind of entity that's protects a certain area or a piece of land, but it's like it's not human, right? So it well,
1: cool. it's not it's. Yes, it's definitely not human in the way we understand it. It's definitely, I don't even like to, to, to associate it necessarily with an intelligence. Because if we take it at the base level of what's happening, it's essentially anomalies in physics, right? These things are moving on their own. Sound is being generated from nowhere if we're to believe there isn't a physical thing there. Um, and again, poltergeist cases, there isn't. Bigfoot guys say, no, there's definitely just a monkey, just like a few yards away. <laughs> That's why this is happening. Which again, we do have monkeys on this planet. I can see their logic. Um, but with a lot of the ghost stuff, the logic goes out the window pretty quick, right? We, we have objects moving on their own, right? Maybe let's take another poltergeist example bunch of stairs chairs stack themselves right and th- this has happened in a handful of cases and they do these weird stacking they're balanced in weird ways and whatnot so that occurs and the conclusion is well you know a civil war soldier must have died here <laughs> and he must be the guy stacking the chairs old stocky, <laughs> or you have the even bigger jump of well you know this is proof that Jesus Christ is real and that there's a demon here trying to fuck with us and convince us he's not real <laughs> which again I don't I don't really see the the
0: third the the through line And then logic. dude I see the correlation too with like the big trees that are all stacked up and all the fucking crazy branches and structures. Yeah. That's another correlation to me with Bigfoot and the poltergeist. That's really interesting. Just
1: like the chairs and the it's, it's very similar to like the writings and the leaving of symbols and stuff, which poltergeists very often do. They there's used in a a lot of uh, poltergeist cases, especially in Europe. I wonder if the literacy thing, um, but there'll be a writing phase before the vocal phase. It'll start with knocks and then there'll be weird writing and stuff like that. I was researching a Russian case um uh, corresponding with some investigators over there. And they were talking about this case where the writing was appearing on the outside of these eight story windows. There's That's this apartment, creepy, man. Soviet block apartment. And again, there does seem to be, they had, children of, of puberty, pu- pre-pubescent age that were, you know, on that, that cusp. And they were in living in this, you know, pretty rough housing. And that seems to be another thing that Hollywood has kind of erased in poltergeist stories. It's always the beautiful, lush cabin in the woods or the, you know, mansion that's haunted. But if you look for true poltergeist cases that are actually occurring, the be- the ones with the best evidence occur like in section eight housing and, and government housing in the UK. If you think of the black monk of Pontefract and, um, uh, what's the one with the little girls who were floating. Um, I can't remember, but again, those were all in, in, you know, uh, what do they call them over there? They got a funny name for it. Um, government has.
3: i feel like there's got to be a handful of like um cool haunted 7-eleven bathrooms out there too because of all the horrible things that happen in those places
1: well and you know what you also find a haunting most secondary most haunting to residents is hotels and you know get into like human trafficking and all kinds of stuff but also just the liminal space aspects of it but you you have hauntings like genuine hauntings in new hotels and that blows the whole like historical hypothesis, you know, pretty much out of the water, unless you think there's someone buried forgotten beneath the thing, which of course you can always pull that because but man, where the whole are world?
0: Are we all right? isn't everywhere a fucking graveyard? Right?
1: <laughs> Tell <laughs> me why isn't the the ocean covered in ghosts if that's how the whole thing works. <laughs> it might be dog
0: in my
3: Maybe go sink to a- the bottom, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got a question, Chaz. So what, like, for example, the Betts Castle it has, like, all this crazy dark history. It has all this stuff. Do you think, like, what do you think about the stone tape theory as, like, I've heard it called? Like, mm-hmm. the idea that places can actually store energy, like, negative energy, for example, with all this haunting activity. Do you think there's anything to that idea that might explain some of this, like these locations around the world?
1: It's it's certainly a possibility, um, but I tend to to think that the the recording mechanism is the, the human brain. You know, it's not the, well, the, the aspect, I shouldn't say the recording mechanism, the projector. It's not, and again, I'm open to the idea that I could be wrong here. But it seems to be that, you know, the, the projection of these entities isn't coming from, you know, the stone or the, the wood. It's coming from our, our periphery, our perspective. Um, and it, it's one of those things where you do have, if you look at like famous paranormal events, let's take uh, the... Um, what was the one in Spain where they all saw the Virgin Mary? Uh, what, what, Guadalupe. Uh, oh,
2: it's a big yeah, yeah, uh, UFO. Guadalupe,
1: yes, the Virgin of Guadalupe. Every, uh, thousands of people saw it, but if you actually get into the reports, um, they they vary. Only if only children were seeing it as an actual like angel. A lot of people were seeing lights more akin to UFOs. The, the individual perspective on what was occurring was vastly different in like the, the interviews. And they like to gloss over that detail because, you know, it's a, not as good of a story if you're selling Bibles. Uh, but it's, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre detail. And again, I think if you're a Bigfoot hunter and you're out there looking for Bigfoot and you get close to whatever this source is, whatever this glitch in reality is, it's going to adopt that Bigfoot mask because not necessarily because that's what it looks like, or that it's doing that intelligently. I think it's our brain trying to see something that we physically can't comprehend. So it, our brain fills in the gaps and it does that all the time to like protect us from like trauma and things like in extreme scenarios. It's, it's, it's well known and studied that will. And so, I think that's why you have a an uptick in a lot of the modern skinwalker sightings, right? And that
2: could also like explain a lot of the owls that Fatima. are seen in UFO exactly. cases, right? Right.
1: And that it was
0: Fatima. Guadalupe Fatima. was in I was Mexico. Gonna say that.
1: Yeah. I was gonna say that Guadalupe is the Mexican one. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Fatima, but I I was mixing it up. Um, <clears throat>
0: I knew it was uh, wrong because Guadalupe was definitely in Mexico, and it right. Yeah, but it's a I similar story show. in yeah. Guadalupe.
1: I believe it was. Um, it was. Oh no, there was something else there. It was a guy in a church. In a, never mind. Different yeah. story. But there's a, a few handful of those experiences throughout the the you know history of the world. Even in UFO lore, if you take the aerial school sighting, where all those kids saw aliens. But all those drawings Mm. of those aliens are slightly different. They're all slightly different. Some of them have hair. Some of them are wearing different clothes. And again, what is to explain this this deviation? And again, I'm no scientist, but as someone who's taken psychedelics with others, that seems to be a good explanation of what's (laughs) happening, you know, where you're seeing something. But it's going to be slightly different for everybody, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, like the uh, the the modern skinwalker was what I was um, going to jump into was the. Uh, of course, we have the lore of the skinwalker, which is like a shaman who can. He's committed cannibalism and like um, I think you got to kill a family member and eat them, and then you can turn into different animals and stuff, um, which is cool, great story, and again. Like all of these legends, all of these hotspots, there's a story, an origin story, which gets the brain going. But the modern skinwalker people see and are reporting, what does it look like? It looks like some kind of bovine forest creature that's demorphed and like weirdly shaped and stuff like that. And I think that has to do because for the first time in history, really we have a group of people who, you know, don't necessarily believe in like angels and demons, but don't necessarily believe in like aliens and other woo stuff either. So their brain is seeing what, you know, we might see as a Bigfoot or a ghost or an alien. They're seeing this thing and their brain has no place to categorize it. It instantly goes, well, we're in the woods, so it must be something woodland. So it gives it these deer or bear or whatever like features, but it's not that. So we need to make sure the person sees it, knows it's not that and that it's scary and intimidating because we don't know what it is. So it gives you this crazy, you know, random monster creature. It puts it on. It's like putting shuffle on your character create. And that's what these weird bizarre reports are. Um, Again, just a pet theory. Uh, But when it comes to ghosts in particular, when it comes to haunting legends, I think that this theory definitely adds up the most. I think the idea that our intentions and our ideas about it play into it and feed it. Um, There's a, a documentary, there's two parts, The House in Between, and these guys, they did it right, they were wrong in theory. They did it right as in they investigated a house for over a decade, one house, one haunted location, one place, a decade of filming and trying to gather evidence. And they did. There's objects moving on their own, which, again, is the cream of the crop if you're a paranormal investigator. You can get something that's genuinely rolling in a way, moving in a way that's physically impossible. That's paranormal. You've got it. Took them decades to get this, and years of investigating. They, you know, through EVPs, they determined that these ghosts are the ghosts of little girls, and that they've got names for them at this point. And that even though there's no historical record, they must have died here around this time period. And da 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 da. da. And after they've fully fleshed out this story, after years of thinking about it and investigating, they're getting objects to move on their own which is exactly what the monks in Tibet report happening after they meditate and create a tulpa for years and years and years and years is essentially the same effect. Um, Essentially what
0: those guys did with the D and D entity that they created.
1: Yeah. With with the Philip experiment and and similar experiments. And I have to notice that the
3: tulpa is also probably one of the earliest examples of a homunculus in that same regard where you, you create basically like a quote unquote soulless entity that you have control over almost like a little assistant. Like you said, you go out and it does your, you know, does your lawn and it does your taxes and, you know, goes on the long journeys and picks like the forbidden berries and brings them back to you.
1: Yeah. Well, there's yeah, actually I an really use one of those. <laughs> there's an interesting caveat on that. in the um, Tulpa lore, because the, um, God, I'm, I'm biffing on her name. Um, I can't remember her name, but the woman who brought it to the, to Europe, who supposedly traveled in Tibet. Uh, um, Madame
3: Blavatsky? It Madame wasn't Blavatsky, Blavatsky,
1: but it was like one of her contemporaries. Okay. Um, it was someone a few years afterwards. Um, ah, it's killing me, but um, it'll, I'll yell it at the end of the episode. I'll remember it. <laughs> um, she supposedly made one of these tulpas after like learning about the process, and it turned on her after a while. Like it was like tired of being a goon, <laughs> It was like "fuck you, lady." I'm, I'm I think they always do. And I've that- heard that almost yeah. all the time. Well, well that good
2: idea. To-
1: poltergeist lore is usually how poltergeist lore, how poltergeists develop to the point where they get poltergeisty, is that the kids. It it starts with, like, the knocks and stuff, and it starts communicating and doing this weird stuff, and the kids think it's awesome. They're like, this is so cool. Like, look at this weird, spooky thing that's happening. Um, And it starts to, after a while, starts to get spooky. And perhaps that's because of our culture. We start to think, well, what is this actually happening? And very quickly, if you're just raised in the West, you're going to think it's a demon, even if you're not religious. Like, I didn't go to church very often as a kid, but, like, it's what the TV tells you it is. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's in our movies and our literature and our songs. The devil went down to Georgia. You know, it's, it's what we just instinctively think it is. And so you start that starts inking into your mind and so the the knocks start taking a more sinister tone and that starts making you more afraid and fear is a very you know potent emotion and so again i don't pretend to know how esp works but if you believe the psychics out there you feed it feeds off your fear i don't necessarily know if that's true but i know your fear is going to start to paint that that hallucinization that start to paint your trip as as someone who's done psychedelics it's very easy to go from a good trip to a bad trip there's some some creepy imagery can just be all you need to be like oh i'd
3: like (laughs) to know uh Chaz, if if you're familiar with or believe in psychometry which is essentially the concept that uh tragic events or massive events Almost get recorded in the objects around them as you know, like yeah, a scientific no, well, every explanation.
1: Object has some kind of uh, consciousness and r- remembers and stuff. Right. like Right?
3: How much credit do you give to that?
1: Um, I think it's interesting. I think again, under the specifically with salvia, there seems to be a good bulk of experiences of people swapping. Oh,
3: now you're talking my language here.
1: Inanimate <laughs> objects.
3: Um, I, I love this topic because it's it's so. Po- polarizing in that like one person out of a hundred seems like they enjoy salvia and the other 99 are like (laughs) I never want to try it again or well, I never want to try it for the first time because of what I've heard.
1: I don't know if we can add this to your documentary, but I've always want personally wanted to uh, go down to Key West where Robert the Doll is at and smoke some salvia and stare at Oh my out. god. I'm down, dude. Right.
3: I am one million percent down. Slop
1: consciousness with a haunted object. No one's tried that. You before. can
3: still get salvia in Georgia, can't you? Or is it I don't know. I,
1: I think you can find oh, it someplace, man. man.
2: You guys well, are if you guys want to
1: record
0: this <laughs> and include this in the documentary, I not be upset.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, man. If, if I'm not totally uh, opposed. If, if you're driving... <laughs>
3: it is a long-ass drive man (laughs) even when you get all the way to miami and you're like okay now we got another three hours (laughs) stop on at
1: coral castle though for my next writing project what
2: happens if you swap consciousness and you get stuck in the doll and the demon doll gets stuck in your body
1: that would be fucking wild though like imagine if like I did it though, and like I started stabbing people and going crazy. That would be oh the God. craziest thing ever. <laughs> we would know. Like, that would be the point where we would know that this shit's real. <laughs> and that's good enough for me, man. I just need to know. Um. Also,
3: the, the rent in Key West versus Gainesville is massive difference there. So that would be quite an upgrade. If, if yeah, to right? Go uh, right. Uh, Key with West? A doll body.
1: Pop down to Harry's Bar, get plastered get after a day at the museum? <laughs> that sounds like a sweet gig.
3: <laughs> go pet some cats. Yeah.
2: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, well, I like uh, it, again, man. I think that's why it's important to do these experiments in, in kind of a bold way like that. Because, like... I'm sure I'll just get really high and maybe like a little bit, a little sick. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that as someone who's done this a lot, I'm pretty sure that'll happen. That's what's going to happen. So uh, not Salvia though. I've never done Salvia before. So we'll see. Buckle up.
3: (laughs) Well, I just got to say out in public in light with other people and like, Things happening around is probably yeah. the worst time to do Get it. one but... of those
1: like electric vaporizers <laughs> and just stealth hit it real quick. looking. <laughs> um, so
0: Jess, I want to ask you a couple questions because the first time well, when we did the we when we did the Bigfoot documentary, we did most of the interviews after we'd filmed. And so I got all this awesome fucking um advice. That i wish i had asked before we had record you know before we had Mm -hmm. done the documentary uh so i want to ask you are there okay so this is what i think is probably going to happen ben and i haven't really planned anything too much but a friend of mine has access to uh one of these private pioneer graveyards cool so go and check out one of these like real real old uh dead people um i'm assuming i Myself and my and my other friend that's coming with us, uh, we like the psychedelics. So, I mean, there might be some shrooms going on. I assume there's probably going to be a Ouija board involved. Do you have advice and or should there be anything that we should be cautious about? Uh, is there any scary things, any scary elements? Are you ever physically afraid when you do these sort of things?
1: I, I've definitely been physically afraid a few times, but that's more from the legality aspect. Okay. <laughs> people, people definitely scare me way more than uh, uh, cops and robbers, all that <laughs> way more than uh, the, the ghosts when I'm on these investigations. Um, but so if you're on private, you, you got permission. You're on the, you got your own spot. Perfect. Yep. You don't have to worry about that, which awesome. Great job. What kind of Uh, equipment should I bring? Well, I want to ask you,
2: dude, what's, like, your favorite piece of equipment? Like, is it spirit box, EMF?
1: I don't use a ton of of equipment. I use a couple of practical things from – because with my approach of investigating, um, I have an EMF detector. Um, I've got a CO2 detector, which is something not enough – Paranormal investigators get because if you're getting high off some gas, that could be explained why you're seeing some weird shit. <laughs> um, and again, that doesn't necessarily mean that shit's not actually paranormal. Yeah,
3: shit. like what if you have to get high on the weird shit in order to see the weird shit?
1: Well, it's, it's again, if I'm trying to solve a haunting, if you want me to like turn it off, <laughs> there's a couple things you could do. My dream piece of equipment is a Geiger counter, um, but those fuckers hmm. are expensive. <laughs> but no uh, other than than some you know thermometers I got a, a like laser thermometer to check I got one of those distances. Um, <laughs> but other than that I pretty much ride light I carry a Ouija board I think that's a good move my main piece of advice would then you're doing that I'm not touching it <laughs> my, my main piece of advice would be um, though is that when you you go out and investigate Uh, You know, there's this, the the framework is ghost hunting that you're like out there and you're going to like bag one. You're going to like collect the evidence. And I think the, if you want a more productive investigation, you, you should approach it as more of a digital technological based seance. You're not going out there and capturing this entity that's, you know, out there, you, you, it's not like you're a hunter in the woods looking for a buck. No, you got to do it how the spiritualists did it and how the shamans did it before it. There's invoking, so wh- whatever your whatever that means to you, I would you know.
2: That Go sounds like both a good idea, but also could be a bad idea. Well, like, you
1: said you wanted something to happen. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> if you're looking for results, well, that's the, the approach I would advise.
2: Are, I mean,
3: one of my favorite theories uh, is that ghosts live inside of these plants and psychedelics. So that when you ingest them, you're literally bringing the ghost into your body. And you're experiencing sort of the ghost world through the ghost experience. And oh, it's not necessarily that, you doing it.
1: You hear that a lot with ayahuasca, that there's an entity yeah. a spiritual intelligence mm. behind it. Um, but again, the verdict's still out, whether those are are you know, machinations of our minds. Is there or- anything
3: that could happen that would make the verdict come in for you? Like, what Like what would be the litmus test where you're like, there's the proof indefinitely, and it doesn't well, have well, to be so like e- subjective? E- here's
1: the thing is that I, I'm not, I, I know something's going on through my own experiences and experience, something's occurring. It's just that I think all of our explanations, all of the various theories, even the good ones, even my own one, you know, the psychedelic theory at the end of the day, it's a top down explanation where I have the, we have the conclusion and we have a bits and pieces of evidence and we were just filling in the blanks to get to that conclusion. Now, I think there's a, a lot less blanks when it comes to the psychedelic explanation than when there is if you're talking demons or dead people or Bigfoot being a hairy monkey. That being said, there's still plenty of space there to, to, to try to figure out what, what's occurring. Um, again, though, I think our, our consciousness and our participation is required. Let me put it that way. You know what I mean? There's, And, and this is 100% backed up, and you can watch it on um, – I said I was into my YouTube ghost hunters. I haven't watched them in a minute, but um, the BuzzFeed guys. I know they're not on BuzzFeed anymore, but, um, you know, the one guy believes, and the one guy's a skeptic, and they got the, you know, sassy back and forth. Um nothing ever happens on their investigation and it's because that one guy is a staunch skeptic he doesn't believe in any of it whatsoever and that occurs again and again and again and again if you don't believe if you don't think there's even a possibility well you've closed off that possibility it's not going to to occur and there's a, a fascinating jeffrey Mishlov, he wrote about this in his encyclopedia of consciousness um, he's a great researcher, or I think he's still the only guy who has a PhD in parapsychology. Um, <clears throat> but he wrote about, um, he wrote, he did the math. He wrote about it really well. I like to dumb it down because, you know, I am me and I like to call it the 11% principle. And basically it's the, how I remember and summarize what occurred during the random number generator ESP experiment. And so basically what they discovered is that if someone's sitting in front of a random number generator and they're thinking really hard about even numbers, even, 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 there's about an 11% higher than chance probability that a fucking even number is going to pop up. And that's huge. I mean, that proves that there's something going on there, right? So why doesn't everyone know about this? Why isn't this, why isn't this taught in schools? What, what's going on here? Well, when they went to replicate it with skeptical science scientists, they ran into this problem. The skeptical scientists who were conducting the experiment, the guy was sitting there thinking, even, 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 and it wasn't working. But all of a sudden, they were getting odd numbers at an 11% higher likelihood than chance. And so the experimenters, and this has been the ESP conundrum. This is why no further research since like the 60s and 70s has been done on esp because we can't do it it's kind of the same problem they're finding now with quantum mechanics research where these particles don't exist unless they're observed well we're all observers so how can we study something that we're actively participating in we can't study it objectively because we can't take our brains out of the you know observation thing and so that was the the problem with esp research if the the researchers are trying to prove it one way or the other whether consciously or subconsciously it's going to drastically affect the experiment and again i don't know what that means when it comes to to necessarily what it means when it comes to ghost research but i think it it has its implications and i again if this is an esp thing then um, my suggestion of approaching it like a séance will probably work better. And from experience, and I think there's other investigators out there. I think if you um, if you check out the new Kirks and their work, they, I love
2: they, that. I love Hellier. Oh,
1: yeah. uh, they don't they don't necessarily take mushrooms or anything like that, but they're they're coming from an approach that. That does recognize the altered consciousness in its own way, and that you know, even the the, the cool ghost technology, right? Think about the Gansfeld experiments, the Estes methods, the stuff. Estes where you're method. Covering your eyes. That
2: would be a good one to try. That would be it a good one to try. Looks cool on film.
1: Uh, it does look cool on film, but it is it is a way, a legal way, to enter a con- altered consciousness state. And it's by no means as potent as, you know, a cap of mushrooms or a tab of acid. But it so is, that, the
2: Estes method is where you um, put headphones on, and one guy is listening to the spirit box through the headphones, and then they have noise-canceling headphones on and they can't hear anything outside, and they verbally will say what they hear come through, and then the other person is standing over there asking questions, but the person with the headphones on can't hear anything? Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, so it, it's supposed to be done. So you know how, like, the normal spirit box works, if you've ever yeah. Ghost Adventures. Yeah. yeah. We all love it. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's terrible, but it's so good. <laughs> um where it's just a radio station scrambling through random stations and random words pop out, right? Well, the idea behind the Estes method is to cut off the sound except for that scrambling, cut off your eyesight. So you can't see the guy asking questions. You can't hear him, And then you only say the words that you hear clearly in the headphones. And so it's kind of like a double blind on the um, the spirit box. So if I'm asking about, you know, Who died here? And like you're singing Toto's Africa. We know we're not talking with anything, but like if I start asking like some weird questions, then some weird responses, some apt responses coming through. Supposedly, you're connected with something,
2: dude. Yeah, that would be cool to try. Um, do you think there's anything to the idea that like sensory deprivation will enhance your well, I I would say.
1: If you're gonna try it, I recommend taking it the step further and doing what's called a Delco experiment. Uh, and I don't know who names these things. I think the I've Estes never
2: Park, heard of this one.
1: The Estes one's named after Estes Park in Colorado, um, where the the Shining Hotel's at. Um, I don't know who, who Delco is and why it's named after him, but this one is where you either cut a ping pong ball in half and like tape it to your eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Or I, um, uh, Ghost Hunters of South Florida, a great team based out of, um, I think they're Fort Lauderdale. They've got like a special pair of red goggles that they use. But you, you shine a red light or a, you know, a, a bright uh, orange hue light on someone's covered eyes so they get this red glow. And that mimics a traditional form of hypnotism. So you're not only just blocking off your eyes, you're getting closer to that hypnotic trance-like state. So supposedly, you know, the idea is that you can use all this equipment to turn anyone into like, you know, a, a Madame Blavatsky. Anyone can become a medium if you, you know, through like this weird transhumanism type way. And I, as someone who's tried it out, yeah, it does definitely like when you take it all off, you definitely feel weird, like you you've gone mm. through something. I do prefer you know a little mushroom action, but again, I, it's a perfect both. Um, I haven't tried both yet. I'm I'm really I'd like to. I I'm try really what curious both? to see trying both at the same time. What kind oh, of both. both you would get? Um. Especially they have this one mode on the goggles where like it flashes the red. Um, that would probably be fucking wild if you're tripping.
2: <laughs> yeah, I heard that those flashing those goggles. Time. Yeah. That's a good way to induce uh out of body experience if you put those on when you go to sleep. You have something that right. flashes that'll wake up your mind, right? And then you can which also right. ties into ghost because it's like Do ghosts live on this astral dimension? Do they live in this like non physical, but adjacent to the physical dimension? And that's where they are. And like, that's how they come through, which also means a person who is having an out of body experience could mess with someone like a poltergeist or cause these things to happen. But like, do you think that is what's going on?
1: So that, that hits the other mystery of, of uh, poltergeist and ghostly activity. And someone's probably been screaming at the podcast this the whole time, like, Chaz, you idiot. What about, what about predictions? What about information that comes from these poltergeists and these ghosts that the people around them would not have access to? They wouldn't know that thing. And that happens time, again, time and time again. Jeff the Talking Mongoose was a notorious gossip. He knew who everyone was fucking, and he was never wrong. <laughs> he was totally on, on everyone's business. And that actually occurred in the poltergeist case from Russia I was discussing earlier with the writing on the outside of the windows. The writing oftentimes was telling the neighbors personal secrets and things like this. Um, oftentimes you hear people contacting spirits to find treasure. And on the odd occasion, a psychic medium solves a crime. So where is that information coming from? And that I think is, is the, a, a big question that that's still out. Um, if, if again, we're, we're approaching it from an ESB psychic perspective, um, if you, we, we already have kind of acknowledged that these things work best on group levels where we're all, you know working together, thinking about it, doing a seance, participating, um, building our fill up, as it were. Um, so there, there's some kind of subconscious, non-physical connection between us that would, you know seem to imply. And again, that's always kind of an implied, everyone kind of gets that, you know what I mean? When you, you're thinking about someone and they call you, everyone knows that feeling. We, we all kind of subtly know that weird intuition, psychic kind of feeling. And so um, I'm partial to the idea that again, that in this network, if we're all connected as computers are connected with the internet, well, there's internet, There's information that exists in the cloud, as it were, that exists not in our physical brains, not physically on the computer, but it exists in that, that medium space. And I think that whatever is occurring, um, in, especially in poltergeist and in haunting and ghost cases, it may start with a piece of that information. That disincarnate information somehow slips in, whether it's a dream, whether it's sleep paralysis or a nightmare, or it, it somehow appears physically in like a, a synchronicity or, or some other form. When you start to have that, well, what happens? That, that's an interesting piece of information. That's something, well, that's something only grandma would have known. Grandma must be here with us, and then you start believing, and if you start giving it that, and now you've you started the the snowballing tulpa effect. Um, again, that's perhaps it is Grandma though. Again, we're 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 definitely shooting in the dark. I, I think that ESP explanation though explains why so often those pieces of information they start accurate and then they snowball into something wild and crazy. And you see this a lot, most often with like psychics who like, they, they start their career, they got some good predictions and stuff. And then like, oh yeah, the world definitely gonna end in, in 1999 for sure. It's all over, man. It's I've seen it <laughs> and then, you know, we're still here. So it's, it's one of these things where it it does seem that information can be non-physical. Now, whether what's the mechanism to that? That's I guess the the, the question. And I it, it sucks because I feel like if we uh, if we hadn't been such brutal colonialists when we we moved to the Americas. We, there would be some shaman dudes who could be like oh yeah well this is how it works you, you dumb asses <laughs> like you, you haven't figured this out what have you been doing with your thousands of years oh, you've been building guns you just need to be taking the mushrooms man all the answers are there and and we just shot that guy instead of <laughs> instead of bothering to learn his language and figure out what he was doing um, but I, I think that you know, if that understanding was there that we can eventually get back to it, you know, it's going to take I think probably- a lot of that.
0: Uh, I think a lot of that knowledge was collected by like Vatican and the Catholic church. And then they killed them.
3: Oh, definitely. Yeah, dude. Well, they they came over, they whole saw whole the the mezcal and the mushrooms and the salvia. And they were like, these guys are just smoking. Oh, these the guys devil. have Jesus. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? I heard the whole Catholic the, the conspiracy I heard recently was that the whole Catholic Church is run by like a secret homosexual gang. Like they're all gay and they're like is yeah, that, dude, we beat uh, on Tuesday. I, I thought that was yeah. Uh, <laughs> I well, thought that was uh, out in the open. Uh,
3: in, in that same line though, man, I don't. You've probably heard of of like a uh, John Allegro's research and the sacred mushroom and the cross and how Jesus was a yeah. mushroom and Santa's a mushroom and the Eucharist is a mushroom and just the Pope is a mushroom. Just yeah. every well, symbol in the Catholic Church is a mushroom.
1: There's definitely, and I, I get it, man. I love my mushrooms, but like some people, definitely they really love their mushrooms. And I, I think I've been pretty good about policing myself when I, in recognizing that these psychedelic experiences, even though they're real, even though they're intense. You know, I've had I've had lucid dreams and stuff like I I can't be certain that it is something physical beyond just what's going on here. Now, that being said, it has convinced me that the brain is definitely a powerful enough computer to generate what people are seeing, to generate what we call paranormal entities, whether it's aliens yeah. Bigfoot, or or ghosts. Yeah. I'm, I don't think obscene. it yeah, I don't think it <laughs> I
0: don't think it takes away from anything. Um and what's going on right now in the University of London, I think it is, uh they are doing like DMT experiments where they're doing uh like intravenous, uh DMT. So they're able to keep them at like their height uh-huh. of like for like over this. an hour, yeah. right? And so they're literally having them map the place. Yeah, like, the as mapping, have, yeah. which is
1: Really fascinating, dude. That's yeah. I, as, as someone who does um, psychedelics an, uh, often enough, I worry about those experiments because I worry about um, not because I think they're going to like summon the devil or anything weird like that. I worry about the individuals because, you know, if you take a lot of drugs, any drug, it has an adverse effect. Not necessarily on your, you know, being like physically, but on your tolerance, absolutely. And so, if you're taking a bunch of DMT, well, what's that? When it, when are, when is the one moment we naturally consume DMT in our lives? When you're asleep. Like the moment of death. <laughs> Well, in oh, a moment of death we man. get melatonin and par- fractions of DMT in those little bits but the moment of death is when we get the big hit it's the one time we take a real big hit of it you know, and it's... so i wonder if you take a bu- if you've been getting your your drip of DMT for like 6 months is if that is that trip going to be enough to to blast you off into the next existence that's, that's a work? good question dude because know,
0: I, yeah, yeah. I heard an interview with Alex Jones talking and he was discussing like these folks that take these massive doses of DMT, eventually they don't get high anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they, they'll just fucking. And so the only way they want to still communicate with these entities and things. I think he was like, I think he was talking like the New World Order kind of folks like, you know, uh I and mean, Klaus Schwab does this, I have no idea. You know, that sort of folk well, that uh, are trying to like get a hold of it. Uh, and trying to communicate with these entities but he says that the only way now that they can find those places is to be put into a near death experience and so they're like he said that they were like basically half killing him
1: flat like leaving him dead yeah exactly (laughs) dude
0: this I was like
3: holy shit this is cool
1: man Uh, yeah, again, I don't know. I think um, you know, the idea that secret societies take drugs and talk to entities is probably true. But as probably someone true. who who actively takes Thomas drugs, Thomas is
0: nodding, so I
1: well I as someone who that. actively takes drugs and talks to entities, meh. <laughs> it's like not that That's crazy. Great. It's not Chas, like... <laughs> That's what crazy. are your
0: thoughts it's on crazy. this, man? Because like um those motherfuckers in uh, Switzerland, what's the what's the fucking we, uh, hydrogen collider? You know what I'm talking about? Hydron collider, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. The large hydrogen collider.
0: So they're talking about, um, they're communicating with entities. They're openly yeah. talking about that. Now. Have you done any research into that? What the fuck is that about?
1: I haven't heard about any of the the entity stuff, but the the hadron collider again, I think, is the the um, it's it's the physical sciences finally trying to catch up to what we're talking about <laughs> because the, the the slit experiment essentially proves the concept of biocentrism that reality doesn't exist without a biological observer. Um, and if that's the case, then all of this ESP stuff we've been talking about, this ESP theory when it comes to the, the paranormal, it's probably what's happening. Because the, this concept is, is, is essentially, think of simulation theory, but instead of us all being on a hard drive somewhere, we are each the individual circuits of said hard drive. And our observation is, is what is not necessarily what creates reality, but is at least a cornerstone of that reality. And it's um, there's a, a book by Robert, uh, Dr. Robert Lanza, who gets into this uh, old, old Bobby Lanza, gets into this whole uh, whole side theory, gets into the science of it. Again, stuff I'm not qualified to, to really, you know, explain in depth with. But this, this idea that, you know, the the dark matter in our, our universe is literally unrendered parts of the map because we can't look at it. <laughs> and so anywhere that we actually can see means there's probably like a bug or something at least, you know, that can see it. Or perhaps our our ability to see it from here is enough. Um, again, it, it's that old concept of does a tree fall in the forest doesn't make a sound well if it's in a forest yeah there's going to be squirrels and birds and bugs or feel the vibrations they're going to hear the sound but if a stone pillar falls on an empty dead world with no atmosphere no you know, there's nothing to to vibrate there's no no eardrums to hit there's no sound being made and so it it's this uh, again it runs into though you get to that point where you run into that snafu principle where how do you study something like that how can we study reality if we are generating reality how can we objectively look at it and that's what the hydron collider is trying to do i don't know the math and science behind it i i understand like the slit experiment and how it supposedly works and stuff and how particles you know, they, the particle exists in both slits until someone looks at it. And then it only exists in one slit. And then on the opposite side, the particle exists in the opposite slit. Once it's observed, they'll switch, it'll it'll pick a slit, but every time it's observed, it exists. And when it doesn't observe, it exists in both possibilities. Um, And again, those, that, that particle is the base piece of reality that, atoms are made out of that all of this is made out of and so again the 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 through logic would say yeah that this is our observance at least at the very least has an effect on physical reality on the 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 part particular level i think that's right smaller than molecular particular all uh, right. Well, I'm saying it.
0: <laughs> I've got one more question for you, and then you guys—if you guys have questions—throw them out there. Uh, what are your ideas with at least with uh, AI, and if we are communicating with entities instead of like, I just my fucking listeners are gonna fucking yell at me. It's fine because I've said this a hundred times. Uh, but just the whole idea that our brain is sort of like a computer and that we are spirit housed inside of this meat suit, that we're creating these supercomputers and we're trying to create these like algorithms or whatever, trying to create some sort of intelligence. And I feel like maybe we've been kind of pushed in this technological direction to make things that can house entities here. Like, so maybe that is possibly what these A.I., some of them uh are starting to be, maybe they are fucking entities that are, it's
1: if possible. we
0: create a computer that's complex enough.
1: And I, I, I well, do yeah. think that the, um, the, the AIs we currently have operate essentially in the same way as my shared subconscious neural network of ghosts operate where they, yeah, they're,
2: they're based off of the human brain now. Like it, they're called the neural networks which is like a computer version of a brain. It's the same structure, correct?
1: Right, and so a- again, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit still on the, the fence that this, and there's a few researchers out there who have expressed this, this uh, idea that um, the AI we have right now because of the, the vast pool of information that is the internet, they're really good at being on the internet (laughs) but they the the complexities of actually creating what you know that conscious experience um i don't know i don't know if we i personally don't think you're going to be able to cross enough wires to just get there i don't think you'll with i think at some point the solution will be incorporating biological material you're you're gonna have to get something's brain in there and then maybe you can like get a sheep brain and slap a bunch of wires on it and then get something that can like think artificially and intelligently um but i, I don't think th- this concept that will be able to cross enough physical wires where it, it will start to think um that being said do i think we can make a perfect mm-hmm. replica and they're getting pretty good at it but it's not that I I, again I think we're probably uh, uh, a few uh, we're at this moment I personally believe with AI where it's kind of like you know when they just started doing airplanes they were like the Jetsons is right around the corner everyone's gonna have a flying car and we're gonna be in space like all the time like look at this crazy technology they just made it it's awesome and so we're doing that with you know with like poorly photoshopped nude pictures of celebrities like look what this robot actually
0: does a fantastic job they They are uh they're they're jerk worthy
1: (laughs) it's gonna be rule of the world again i'm not sure (laughs) um but yeah it, it it is i think the the implications of the tools are both A little bit frightening but i think empowering i think to to scare you a
3: little bit more on that you know what the biggest differentiator was between commercial aircraft which was around like the early 1900s and then up until around like the 1930s and then all of a sudden there was this quantum leap in the types of things that we could do with airplanes in that short amount of time and it was war and military so, oh, yeah. really, it's like, whenever what the military it. is like, mm-hmm. we're ready to, to invest a few trillion into this thing, that's when it that thing takes that next big leap. And that's when you go from, like, oh, like the Wright brothers with the little, like, pedals, you know, flying off uh-huh. the edge of a cliff and hoping that's they true. survive, to now all of a sudden you can launch, you know, megaton bombs and and have these huge, like, aircraft carriers
0: and things. Thomas, it was know? the aliens that gave us that technology, clearly. But, <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> It's possible, man. I don't know. I actually
0: think it came
3: from over the Arctic Wall. So, whatever, (laughs) bro, we can fight about it. (laughs)
1: Well, that one I'm a little less convinced of.
3: (laughs) I want to sneak one question into you, Chaz. One of the things that you said that I find really fascinating is that all of these paranormal and ghost stories, they themselves are rooted in like some older ghost story. And then that one's rooted in some older ghost story. And, and I really love the concept of the mound builders, which were, you know, the people that were here even before the, the native Americans as you know, mm-hmm. usually is. So I'm just curious, have you traced any ghost or paranormal stories back to mound builder,
1: like ghost stories? Well, well most of the, the mound builder stuff, unfortunately the, like the dating on it, you have the, um, I like the the two groups, the modern group who who are loving this Tartaria stuff, and I think it's cool. And again, it adds to the legends, it adds to the mythology, it adds to that source bit of material. So I think um, when someone says, "Well, this mound was built by like the ancients and stuff," like that is well, we're evolving the story now. You're participating in that active thing. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I've don't. I, you've got people out there who are like, it's racist, it's fucked up, you shouldn't be saying that. And I don't know, you know, people are going to say whatever they want anyways. Like in a hundred years, I'm not going to have any say on what people are going to say about me. So like what, it, it's a futile, it's an effort and futility in my mind. I think those kind of things add to the story and the, the, belief system. But most of them are from modern people. And the the big second group is unfortunately Mormons. And they are just uh, not shitting on any Mormons, you know, believe whatever you want to believe. They're just not a reliable source on historical matters. (laughs) You can't, you can't like read the like old school Joseph Smith stuff and be like, yep, this guy was a historian. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you have to <laughs> have the
3: magic like, underpants <laughs> on to understand it, bro. If you're reading yeah. it with regular Hanes, you're not going to get it.
1: Well, that's true. That's true. It's again, though, just it could be that, the double
3: slit thing, right? Like if you go into it without it the magical slit. understanding of the well, underpants.
1: And so that is, that's my big question when it comes to, to the double slit and the reality and all of this, where I, all right, I think that individuals can create tulpas. We can create entities. I think there can be an exterior glitch in reality that causes that to occur as well. I think groups can definitely create entities. I think Slender Man is a great fucking example of that. I mean, and the reason I feel that is because I was also, I was a few years older than those girls, who stabbed each other when it happened. And I remember like waking up really early for school and like, swear to God, I saw Slenderman peeking from around the tree and I kept finding Mm -hmm. these QC stickers with random numbers. And I was like, this is the fucking like, it's like the notes from, (laughs) from uh, the Slenderman video games. Like I started psyching myself out. And so, um, by by the time it was a few years later, I was, you know, Sixteen, seventeen. 17, I, I was over slender, man. But when it happened, I was like, yeah, I could see that. Like, I understand why that fucking happened. Everyone's shocked. How could this this happen? No, because we were feeding an entity for sure. Um, and so, I, I, again, what happens when everyone, though, everyone agrees what happens when society adopts a tulpa, adopts an egregore? And we all, that that was just a, a fad on the internet for like a few, hundred, you know, dozen thousand people. And look what happened there. What, what occurs when we all start putting our, our thoughts into these, these kind of entities. And again, it gets into that, man, I guess we create our own realities or regenerate this shit and, uh, I, I guess we're responsible for the uh, shit show we create.
0: <laughs> ben, do um, you have
1: any last questions, buddy?
2: I guess. Uh, I guess I was wondering: Do you think that at any point in history there's any society or culture, or like any group of people that had like a very good understanding on? The paranormal and the afterlife such as I don't know, like the whole like voodoo culture or maybe like one of that like the ancient Egyptians and their whole like book of the dead like is there anywhere you would point to and say we can learn from these guys they knew a lot more than we do right
1: now well I, I think the the American shamans um, were definitely on something if, if anecdotal evidence is to believe and still, you know, a lot of the African shamans and stuff as well, to this day, seem to possess some pretty crazy abilities. You got your voodoo zombies and Haiti and things like that, that, that still occur. And yes, there's mixes of drugs and blah, 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 but it's magic. Come on, right? That's a wizard mixing a potion and it turns a person into a zombie. And yes, it's partially cultural. Like, if you don't believe in being a zombie, you won't become a zombie. But... Again, it it ties into all of these things. Uh, I think that actually, if you, uh, it's the Rainbow and the Serpent. It's a great book by an anthropologist, the guy who went down and figured out what was in the zombie potion. And that was his takeaway is that if you gave this to like a Westerner, yes, it would fuck them up. Yes, you could like convince them to like take the money out of their bank account and shit, but there's no way you would like convince them to be a slave for the rest of their life that portion is cultural that portion's like oh i've been attacked by a witch doctor which means my community not not only am i been cursed but my community has rejected me it's like the witch doctors serve this kind of like peacekeeper role in a certain respect like if one's goes after you that means you you have no allies like you're you're shunned and so being a zombie is partially cultural partially drugs and again I think a lot of this when you see like videos of, of people getting possessed right thinking of crazy videos they're almost always teenage girls from Latin America almost always Catholic <laughs> and it's because' hey. That's why the, does
2: it happen uh, to the Catholics?
1: Yeah, well, they played a Ouija board, and this is what happens when you play a Ouija board. It's the only possible reality in their mind, and so, boom.
0: <laughs> Mostly, why right? I'm not going to touch one.
1: You you That's all you've been. You should do it. I'm That's gonna the watch go, the boundaries.
0: <laughs> I'm ghost. Cu- I'm getting ghost cucked. It's all right. <laughs> Well, oh, man. this has been a lot of fun, guys. Uh, Chaz, why don't you throw some plugs at us, brother? Tell, tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can f- the name of your books again. Uh, tell us your blog, all the shit we should be checking out and reading. And-
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find me on all the social medias at Chaz of the Dead um, on my website, <coughs> chazofthedead.com. You can find links to my books, my articles, Um, And then, yeah, check out Paranormality Magazine. Um, They do great monthly magazine print and digital issues. Um, They're creating a really good paranormal community that, you know, if you love weird stuff, cryptids, ghosts, UFOs, any of that kind of stuff, there's um, um, something there for you. So, um, you know, go check it out and uh, get involved. It's a a cool, uh, cool project. So. Um, yeah, guys, oh, yeah. thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, if you have any more ghostly questions, I'm I'm looking forward to hear more about this uh, documentary. Hell yeah, brother!
2: Dude, no, uh, yeah, this was awesome. It was. I really enjoy your perspective, and it's given me a lot to think about in terms of how our own perceptions and minds can really affect your par- the paranormal or your paranormal experience. Well so oh, thank yeah. you, Chaz. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Remember, whenever you want to go and do yeah. Salvi and Key West and stare at dolls, dude, just Let's let me know. Do it, man. Let's yeah.
1: Do it. I so feel long. like it would be
3: such a tiny niche that like we almost have to do it.
1: Uh-huh. Hey man. I got a couple I got a couple more weird uh
2: That's one weird. I would never yeah. like, like creepy that. dolls, never. I I can't do creepy dolls. <laughs> Those are the worst.
1: Well hey, we're we're gonna film a pilot and we're gonna have a guest on each episode if it gets picked up where we do crazy experiments like that so i'll get you guys booked for uh key west <laughs> let's do it hell yeah
3: thomas why don't you throw
0: some plugs brother
3: yeah dude please uh paranoid com comics graphic novels all sorts of crazy artwork this right here is my mk ultra pamphlet fashion like an old chick track style It that awesome. breaks down mk ultra from start to finish Uh, and a whole bunch of comics man (laughs) well that's exactly what it is it's it's meant and since i'm here in orlando the idea is to just drop them off at disney and universal unfortunately uh it came out right as you know the uh the big rona came out and a lot of people aren't as keen on like picking up little pamphlets out of bathrooms anymore mm. as they once were some. i'm in a college uh, town they will pick them up 100 <laughs> dude I'll, I'll send you a box of them that's that's Hell what they're yeah. there for so yeah check check out paranoid you can find those a whole bunch of other comics uh we might even be coming out with one of these on uh bigfoot with uh nate here oh yeah um really? and see uh yeah see what that's going to be about and then uh paranoid american on Instagram is where I post all the creepiest art that you'll probably ever see.
0: Dude, and it's jerkware. He sends that. me some private ones and they're pretty sweet. That'll be I'll
3: have to do on the Patreon, man.
0: Take yeah. over. <laughs> hey Ben, you want to throw some plugs? Do you tell us about your new book you got coming out and tell us about the book you already threw oh,
2: out? All right. You guys, yeah, uh, so you can look me up on Amazon. My book is called the Last Dinosaur of the Lost World. So uh, just type that in. You'll see, uh, obviously, one of the first results is my name. It's about a cryptid investigation in Venezuela that I tracked down a bunch of witnesses of this little dinosaur-type thing. And I wrote a book about it because no one knew about it. But I am working on a new book, and the new book is going to be called The Lands Forgotten by Time, uh, subtitle. An explorers or a cryptozoologist guide to lost worlds and legends. And so the theme of that book is I'm looking at the most remote isolated places around the world that have the craziest, coolest stories of weird things. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually not done and I have no idea when it's going to be done, but I cover a lot of cool things like, uh, dinosaurs in Africa, uh, Thunderbirds in Fiji, uh, Yetis, uh, the list goes on and on. So, uh, yeah, that's what it's going to be about. Sneak preview for you guys.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right, gents. This was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. Chaz, we love you. All right. Anytime. Love you guys. Cheers, guys.
2: Can you hear me?